Hello and welcome to our sermon, the last one in our series, Faith in the Everyday, looking at James' letter in the New Testament. The chapter we've come to now is an interesting chapter that ends as abruptly as the book begins with its very short greeting, so different to Paul's letter writing style. Reflecting on what we've been reading and thinking about over these last weeks, James's writing has really challenged us, hasn't it? There have been challenges about the way we behave and about the ways our actions reflect or not our Christian faith. And as we've thought about our behaviour, we've considered what it is to have really authentic faith. In other words, the kind of faith where our actions give really big clues as to what we believe to those who watch us. We've thought too about how we treat people, wondering if it's different to the way the world treats them. And if it's not, why not? Jesus was pretty clear on how we should treat the widow, the stranger and the foreigner amongst us. And James has challenged us on just how judgmental we can be if we're not too careful. We also thought about that little part of us that can be the cause of so much trouble, our tongue, reflecting on how easy it can be to do some real damage with the words we use or abuse with others. James reflected particularly on boasting, the fish was this big, on making judgmental remarks and on anger too. He was concerned about the casual attitude people can have when they speak. And we reflected together on how with all the texting and messaging stuff that happens today, this is potentially an enormous problem of our 21st century society. I'm fairly sure that we concluded that our tongue and the fingers that type too, can be a very dangerous part of us if not tamed to be as God intended. Last week we considered wisdom, recognising that this is a vital tool in our toolkit for life. The world's motives, morals and methods are still a challenge though. The pressures on us to conform to the world's standards remain essentially the same as they were in James's day. And it seems to me that there is something here about the difference between testing and temptation and having the wisdom to know the difference. Testing is all about helping people to do better. Tempting is all about wanting people to fail. God never tempts us, but sometimes may test us to help us to be more wise in the situations we find ourselves. Now in this last chapter of his letter, written to all those dispersed Jewish Christians around the Mediterranean, James talks about some of the most nitty-gritty bits of life and how we as Christians behave. Some people find these particular verses we've heard today a bit dodgy. But I don't think they are. I think we must just work out very carefully what James is saying to help us. We need to come to them with humility and determination to understand what inspiration God is giving us. More later. The early part of chapter 5 is a warning about the worthlessness of riches and how they can affect our behaviour and not always for the good. Money itself is not the problem, but the love of money can cause all sorts of difficulties in our behaviour. We all need money to live and support our families. Churches need money to do their work effectively. But the love of money can bring oppression as individuals living, verse 5, on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, race to get more and more and even hoard stuff for all the wrong reasons. James is very clear in his practical advice here. The Christians in 50-ish AD were expecting Jesus to return in their lifetime. After all, he had only lived, died and risen some 17 years or so before. 
And James wants them, verse 7, to be patient then, brothers and sisters, he says, until the Lord's coming. After all, patience is a fruit of the Spirit and therefore an attribute Christians should be developing. He reminds them of the patience of the farmer, which today as we celebrate the goodness and generosity of God at harvest time, we are reminded of too. Planting seeds and small plants is something of a risk, isn't it? We tried growing some dwarf beans this year and they did grow eventually, but the small green veg have only been on our dinner plates about five times. I've been very impatient and bought many more better looking specimens from the shops, I have to say. And those of you who are really good gardeners, unlike me, will know all about waiting for the right weather. I'm not entirely sure we've had that though this year, have we? But impatience can so easily lead us to other behaviours which James suggests are not, are not appropriate for Christians. Grumbling, judging, swearing, etc. Read verses 7 to 12 when you get a minute, just before our reading today. And I guess if James is making a mention of them in his writing, they were happening and they probably still happen today too. This all feels a bit gloomy, doesn't it? Miserable even. That Christians can be so worldly and frankly miserable people. It seems to me that in the reading we've heard today, James gives the Christians then, and us, perhaps the best key to changing behaviour, thus stopping all the gloom and the misery. Prayer and thanksgiving. When you ask people about prayer, there are always some who will dismiss it as mumbo-jumbo, and then there will be others who say they will pray in a crisis. So what if you ask a Christian about prayer? What do they say? James suggests that it should be completely natural. In fact, as natural as breathing. Let's face it, we don't generally think about breathing, do we? Our bodies just do it, even if sometimes if it is a bit of a struggle. James thinks that talking to the Lord about stuff should be just the same. Prayer really should not be the last resort when all else fails. And therefore, can I suggest that saying thank you to God for all that he gives us should equally be part of our natural behaviour as Christians. Today, as we celebrate harvest, what are we really doing? Our modern British tradition of celebrating harvest festival in churches began in 1843, when the Reverend Robert Hawker invited parishioners to a special Thanksgiving service at his church in Morwinstow, Cornwall. Victorian hymns such as we plough the fields and scatter and come ye thankful people come and all things bright and beautiful helped popularise his idea of harvest festival and spread the annual custom of decorating churches with homegrown produce for the harvest festival service. He invited his parishioners to that first special harvest because he wanted to give thanks to God for providing such plenty that year. The service took place on the 1st of October and bread used for communion was made from the first cut of corn. As we've come to rely less heavily on homegrown produce, there has been a real shift in emphasis for many Harvest Festival celebrations. Increasingly, churches have linked harvest with an awareness of and concern for people in the developing world for whom growing crops of sufficient quality and quantity remains a struggle. Development and relief organisations often produce resources for use in churches at harvest time, which promote their own concerns for those in need across the globe. And our contributions today will go to the local food bank tomorrow with our normal fortnightly collection. But I want to ask, in our everyday lives, is prayer and thanksgiving a natural part of our behaviour as Christians? When we read things in the paper or on the internet, 
Do we use what we read as a springboard to prayer? When we are worried about things, do we take James' advice and ask others to pray with us and for us? Do we care enough about each other to be holding one another in prayer in all the circumstances of life, not just when there's a problem or an illness or something tricky going on for someone? The kind of prayer James is talking about in verses 13 to 15 is that made in a private home by someone asking for his or her well-respected friends or leaders to pray for him when he's unwell. The person is not asking for a special healer. He just knows that because his friends are praying and to whom they are praying, he can have faith. The Bible teaches that faith is trusting in Jesus. What makes our faith strong is not its intensity, as though we need to work ourselves into a state of absolute belief, but its its object, the one in whom our faith is placed. If we forget this, then we end up trusting our faith and wondering whether we have enough of it, rather than trusting in Jesus. It has been suggested that only people with a certain amount of faith enjoy particular kinds of miraculous healing. Really? You know, such suggestions are spiritually quite dangerous. I've known people of good faith and conscience be completely crushed by such claims that if they'd exercised enough faith or offered enough prayer, then whatever they were praying for would have happened. I don't think James is suggesting this for a moment, and I don't believe that it's consistent with the nature and character of God at all. And Jesus certainly didn't seem to operate that way, did he? I believe that we can really underestimate the impact of prayer and thanksgiving on ourselves and each other. Why do we do that? I suspect too some other things we must not underestimate the impact of is our interdependence and our accountability. That's the bit about confessing our sins to one another, sharing the mistakes we make and asking for help from each other not to make them again. Sometimes this might need to involve a church leader, but not always. We all have a responsibility to one another with this. We need to have the kinds of friendships where we can share our struggles, one commentator wrote. Being a Christian is not easy. We've spent the last few weeks looking at just that. But isn't it exciting, seeing what God's doing and joining in with all the action? Some of you may be saying, well, I can't join in. And perhaps in a physical way, that is true. But we can all join in with prayer. And for James, it seems to always be the answer to stuff. If prayer is like breathing for the church, then we all need to be doing it all the time, don't we? To what extent is prayer our first response to the ups and downs of life? James cites Elijah as a classic example for us to follow. In his hands and heart, prayer not perfect, but it is powerful and effective. Prayer makes a difference. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, verse 16. James really emphasises faith being seen in action. How? What is the evidence? Right living, James says. Christians should serve with compassion, speak lovingly and truthfully, live in obedience to God's commands and wisdom, and love one another no matter who or what. James also almost paints a picture of heaven on earth and suggests that it is our behaviour that will draw people to Jesus through love for God and each other. In other words, if we truly believe God's word, we will live it day by day. It's not just something nice to listen to on a Sunday morning, not merely something to think about for five minutes, but something we just have to do, like breathing. If James has challenged you somewhat, like he has me over these last few weeks, then let's agree to work on all this stuff, to be accountable to one another, because this is the way God's kingdom will grow as we work together on our behaviour 
so that we in our everyday life are naturally pointing people to Jesus. Let's take this opportunity as we thank God for all that he provides for our sustenance and well-being, remembering James's call to sing songs of praise when we are happy, but to also ask him to help us become authentic Christians, different to the various worlds in which we find ourselves day by day, but living in those worlds and with great hope, pointing others to God's glorious future. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the challenge that James has brought us. We ask you to help us to become authentic in our faith, in our everyday faith, so that all those who watch us, all those with whom we share, will see the Lord Jesus and want to know more about him and the love that he has for him. Give us the courage to point them to him, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.